Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Genesis chapter 37 is where we left off last Sunday. Would you raise your hand if you got into last week's message? Were you here? We started a new series called Plot Twist, and we're speaking about the life of a young man named Joseph, kind of filling you in if you missed it. Last week we left off where this young man was thrown into a pit, and then he was pulled out of a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery. Things were not looking so good for Joseph. The Bible tells us he was sent to Egypt with a band of Midianite traders. And his father, his father, Jacob, loved him more than any son. No doubt his father believes Joseph is now perished. He believes the stories that his brother Joseph was, the, the brothers made up a lie, they made up a story. And if you know where, where we're at in the, the context of this story, the brothers, I believe, also probably fully think they've gotten away with something. That they, they have gotten away with this lie, this deception. They have sold their brother off. And a matter of fact, they probably don't even think a 17-year-old has a chance in Egypt. He's probably dead already. But in a, a major plot twist, we're going to pick this up in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis. Joseph is alive. Joseph is alive, and he is sold to a man named Potiphar. This man Potiphar is described in the Bible as the captain of the bodyguard. The captain of the bodyguard. Uh, Potiphar was a part of an elite group. He was a part of powerful people. The Jewish historian, his name is Alfred Edersheim, he describes that the group Potiphar is a part of, he says, of the group he was a part of, they were elite, but he says this, Potiphar was the chief executioner. Keep that in mind as we begin to unravel some scripture today. Potiphar is a seasoned tough guy. He's a seasoned military veteran with experience. And and, and let's be, be certain about this. I think he was probably nobody to mess around with. Potiphar was nobody to mess around with or mess around on. So as we pick it up, that's kind of where we've been. Let's turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bible. Would you turn it on to Genesis chapter 39 from your phone? Let's get ready. And if you have a smartphone, you know we in our Cornerstone app, go to our media section. You can pull up our notes if you want to take notes in digital fashion there. So Genesis 39, beginning in verse 1. Are you ready to get into God's Word today? Let's do it. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now there's no mention of how much time has passed from the pit to traveling with the Midianites down to Egypt. It could be three months, three weeks. It could be three years for all we know. that The writer does not mention any time. We know Joseph was sold. He was sold to the Midianites at a bargain rate. He was for sale. And he's surrounded by a culture that is new to him. He's surrounded by a a language that is probably new to him. And these are the events. I love the way Joseph's story reads. It's like a novel. These are the events that play out in the house of his master, the captain of the guard. His name is Potiphar. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and lived in the house of his Egyptian 
master. Look how we skip right to it. Would you underline that, circle that, because this is something repetitive that's going to, we're going to see it over and over in these next few verses. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. We see this multiple times. The Lord was with Joseph, and it says he prospered. He prospered in living in the house with this Egyptian master. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. He became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Would you circle that? Everything he owned. Think of that like church Think of that in your life today, like we probably don't own as much as Potiphar did by comparison, being he, that he's a military, powerfully, politically connected, probably a wealthy man. It says he entrusted everything he owned to Joseph. He entrusted everything he owned to Joseph. He became his uh, attendant. Verse 5, from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of who? Come on now, because of Joseph. I love that. Would you, I want to point something out. Would you, would you go back to verse 3 for just a minute? Go back to verse 3. I love this passage because I think we can apply this to our lives right now. You can apply this to the classroom right now. You can uh, apply this in your workplace right now. If you're an educator, you can apply this as you teach your students, right? Notice this, verse 3 says this, his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Would you underline that? Would you circle that? His master saw that the Lord was with him. Notice, it, like, it doesn't say Joseph, Joseph told him about his God. No, it doesn't say Joseph like, told him all. He didn't say Joseph preached to him or talked to him. It says his master saw that the Lord was with him. I, I love that it says Potiphar could see Joseph's beliefs for himself. He could see his character in all that he, Joseph didn't have to do a lot of talking. He didn't ask for favors, but he found favor because of, of the master simply observing him. Isn't that amazing? I think we're called to do that today, right? Number one, would you write this down? Our words, our words, our words can damage our witness more than anything else. That is so true, so true back then, and it's true for us today. Our words, would you, would you, would you write that down? Our words can damage our witness more than anything else. We could say our thumbs nowadays too, because there's a lot of ways to deliver words, isn't there? We can be a keyboard warrior or a thumb, thumb warrior, whatever it is, but that, that, that can damage our witness more than anything else, when we, our assignment is to be like Jesus and represent him well, our words can damage our witness. And yet, Joseph in this foreign country, he was promoted. He was promoted because his master saw that the Lord was with him, put him in charge of everything. A common slave, probably one of dozens on the, on, on the grounds, probably one of dozens in Potiphar's home, yet Joseph was chosen to run the house he was chosen to run the house not of just anyone probably of one of the most powerful military men in all of Egypt can we continue in scripture today let's finish off verse 5 the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had and I love this it says in the house and in the field 
That means like in the house he was blessed and in his bank account he was blessed, right? So Potiphar left everything he had of Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Can we repeat that verse really quick? Check this out. Check this out. It says, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Joseph has gone from the pit, he has gone from being sold, he has gone from being traded to now running a home, running this small business. He has been entrusted. He, he is, like we could say it like this, compared to where he's been, he's seeing some success. He's getting blessed, right? And, and we're going to see, and this is true in life with promotions. It's true with what you are entrusted with. With more trust, with, with greater success, you will you'll be given more trust. Can I say it like that? With greater success, you will be given more trust. Come greater measures of trust that are needed. Uh, Joseph, we're going to see that he was so consistent. He was so consistent because as his story turns, and he experiences plot twist after plot twist. His character is consistently tested. God entrusts him with something, and he passes. His character is consistently put on trial, we could speak, we could say. And he is always known to be a stand-up person. Joseph, he has already faced these years of adversity with the Midianites. But now he's going to be tested in a different season. And we don't talk about this a lot in church. That sometimes when we are prosperous, that is when we will be tested. Adversity is hard, but will your character hold up during prosperity? Right? Adversity is tough, but will your character hold up when you are blessed? When you have extra, when you have abundance? Thomas Carlyle, he said this, adversity is sometimes hard upon a man. But for one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that will stand adversity. Number two, would you write this down? The temptations that accompany prosperity are far greater and far more subtle than those that accompany adversity. Joseph, we could say, was in a season where he is prospering a bit totally prospering compared to where he has been. Potiphar left everything in charge to him. And in verse 6, so Potiphar left it all. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Potiphar was probably putting on a few pounds with Joseph in charge, just eating steak all the time. Says so that's all he worried about, just what he ate. Now that is some trust. I'm guessing for some context, that probably meant Joseph was in charge of his, his meetings. Maybe some investments, maybe his finances. He was in charge of his schedule. I think Joseph was probably in charge of his workers and the workers' performance. He was in charge of it all, and that is some serious trust. And, and man, we could say it like this. This is like hitting the lottery versus where Joseph has been. Joseph has been in a bad spot. And, you know, sometimes in church, and we hear in sermon after sermon, or we hear some of the greatest teachings online nowadays, don't we? But we often like to talk about God being there with you, helping you get through what you're going through, helping you get through what is happening to you, helping God being there during sufferings. We often talk about that. And God is there in that fire, and that is so true. But, you know, something we don't talk about a lot in church is that we might be in a season of blessing. 
We might be in a season of wealth, a season of abundance, a season of something new, a season of new life, and things are just good. But I can't help but think, I, I bet you, if Joseph could be here today and tell us a few, a few tips, if he could encourage us and say a few things, I bet, I wouldn't be shocked if he were to, here today, he would remind us of this truth that we don't like to talk about much in church sometimes, and that is this little bonus point for today. In the days of prosperity, prosperity Get this, get this. In the days of prosperity, we should actually expect temptation. Did you hear that? Sometimes, right? We just get happy, oh, lucky, I'm just going to chill out, play some video, whatever, do it. In the days of prosperity, we should expect to be tempted. I think Joseph would hit us with that. He'd say, man, the greater you are blessed, the more success you have, the more money you are able to make, the more trust you receive from your boss, that promotion when he makes you the top woman or the top guy, right under him, whatever it is, with that promotion comes great responsibility and even you're, you're vulnerable, there comes great temptation. You are vulnerable in moments of prosperity. I think Joseph would say, when you're prosperous, watch out. When you're prosperous, watch out, because that's when the temptation is going to appeal to you. That's when the temptation is going to come for you. And so I think Joseph, it seems like he's like a guy that's ready for it. He's like ready. He gets promoted. He becomes second in charge. Think of this. It'd be like you are the, you are the, 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 the president of the household, so to speak or the vice president, right? He's in charge. Joseph is on top of his game. He is smart. He is ready to go. But there's also something else about Joseph that is only said about four, uh, four people in all of Scripture. And it's said very rarely. The Bible says this. It, it says, we only see this four times in Scripture. These words are used to describe Joseph first. And then these words are used to describe Saul. And then these use, words are used to describe David. And these words are used to describe Absalom. Let's look in Scripture what the Bible says about Joseph. Because not only is he intelligent, he's hardworking, he's adaptable, he's speaking multiple languages at this point. The Bible says this. Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's what my Bible says. It says he was well-built and handsome. Now, guys, if you're, no, now lucky we're happy if we get one of those two traits, right? You can be a little handsome, but still not have, you know, still got a, a dad bod a little bit. I'm in that category, right? But like, he, Joseph's got, he's well built, and he's handsome. He, uh, we, can we just be honest in church? He's hot. He's a hottie bow body. He's hot, right? And, and we act like we don't, like, and there's nothing wrong with being hot. He's, he's hot, whatever, right? But amen is right, right? But we know, we act like we don't notice these things in church. Like we're like, so right, I didn't notice, I didn't notice, I didn't notice. It's more like, hey, I didn't look twice, I'm good, I looked away, right? But we notice when a guy is good looking. Ladies, you notice. Men, we notice when a woman is good looking. My family, um, you know, it's just, it's just interesting. We were watching, uh, like a month ago, we were, uh, we were watching Spider-Man. And it was the first one with Tom Holland. I forget the title of it. No Way Home or Some Way Home or Multiple Ways Home and the multi, whatever it is. Right? But Spider-Man is awesome. And we were watching it, 
And I know it's PG-13, but my girls were just so excited about the new Spider-Man. And so I'm like, okay, let me pick some spots and let you guys watch this movie. Well, I forgot, I completely forgot about this one part in the movie where Spider-Man is changing in his room in front of his best friend. And all of a sudden, his like Tony Stark special suit, it just deflates and it like comes off. And for the ladies in the house that are like, you only would appreciate this when you're under 22, because most women are like more like Chris, like Thor is the man, right? Chris Hemsworth style. Tom Holland's a youngster, but I, I noticed the girls in our youth group love Tom Holland, the new Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, easy, easy. There we go, right? I'm preaching, I'm preaching, you're preaching, Pastor Joey. So you guys could get this. So it's this scene in the first Spider-Man, his shirt comes down, and it's, it's, it's just flagrant eye candy galore. It's intentional, right? He looks amazing. He's this young kid. He's a whippersnapper, like 19 years old with, with all these muscles. And my girls are at the age where, I'll be honest, most of the boys in our Cornerstone Academy just annoy them, right? They don't listen. They run around the classroom. These boys are just little terrors. They're at that age where boys are still gross. Thank you, Jesus, right? One day they'll love boys, but boys have cooties still. So we're watching this scene and two of, the, two of my girls, literally, the minute his shirt comes off, they go, they cover their eyes, and then they go, gross! It's like, literally, they said that. Two of them are like, gross! They closed their eyes and yelled it, and I'm dying laughing. I forgot about it. But as I look over, one of my daughters is sitting there, and she didn't cover her eyes, and she didn't yell, gross! But she actually, like, had a twinkle in her eyes. And she gazed at the television. She didn't turn away because it, it's a prolonged, it's like a 20 second, 30 second scene. And she literally, then she had a little smirk, her little dimple, she smiled. And then I'll never forget this like beautiful innocence and yet also just cuteness. She goes, she says this, she goes, oh my. <laughs> She's like looking and grinning, oh my. And then she says this, he has six abs. That's what she said. She has six abs, totally. She's going to marry somebody totally built differently than dad, right? Oh, my goodness. But it was the cutest moment ever. But the reality was she saw something that was like, oh, my. Hmm. That, was, that was pleasing to the eye. And we talk about Joseph. I think of this, this like Tom Holland type young stud. He's got his game together. He's living his best life. And, and Scripture says, look at that. Joseph was well built and handsome. You could go away saying Joseph had six-pack abs. You'll never forget the story of Joseph if we think of that, right? Young ladies, Joseph had six-pack abs, okay? It's good stuff. But the reality is, is as we joke, but like these are real things that like for <laughs> a unique set of blessings that not all of us have to deal with that, right? And we're going to see temptation come for Joseph. Look at verse 7, and I'll, I, there are some kids in here, so I'm going to try to skip. We're going to get the point real quick, but I see some young, young faces in here, so this woman's abrupt. We'll put it at this. Verse 7, after a while, the master's wife took notice. He's young, he's smart, he's powerful, he's influential. He's gaining in standing. She sees a trophy. She sees a conquest. She sees someone to uh, 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 bring down to her level, clearly. She doesn't waste any words. She said this, Joseph, come to bed with me. Hello. That's like, she's up front, right? Um, she, she's very, the, like the Bible doesn't waste any time describing this, but look at verse 8 as we move past it. He says, Joseph refused. 
Let's read some more. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Look at this guy. He knows, he knows he's got a good job. He knows he's the vice president of this house. He knows he's got a good thing going. I am not going to do this. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? It's interesting to me that Joseph was so ready with this response, right? It's interesting to me because I think so many of us would be so caught off guard. Like if if you were just going to the Bellagio for a weekend to see the fountains or the gardens or whatever, and somebody just says something to you so ridiculous in the elevator, many of us would either be like creeper, weirdo, we we would probably try to diffuse the situation with humor, we'd probably try to make a joke about it and then that elevator door opens and we'd probably run away as quick as we can, right? But Joseph doesn't even respond with flattery. As, as, as upfront as she is about what she wants, Joseph is equally bold in saying, not a shot. Right? It's interesting. She's so bold, yet he, he meets boldness with boldness. He refused. One, he, stay, he said, I'm going to stay loyal to my master. And he says, two, I'm, I'm going to stay loyal to my God. I'm, how could I do this? My master trusts me, and I'm not going to sin in front of God like this. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Smart man. I ain't even going to be around this chick. Right? One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties. And I, I wonder what happens here. She, I, I think she probably set something up. Because where are the servants? This is none of the household servants was inside. Verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Notice this temptation was an ongoing thing. A lot of times we treat temptation like, oh, it's just, it's a, I, I won that battle, I'm good to go. No, 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 like the reality is when it comes to addiction, when it comes to different things that our heart desires, we are going to be tempted over and over. Joseph, day after day, it says, she kept asking. She kept coming to him. And he didn't seem to budge. The Bible says this. When Joseph faced temptation, would you, look, would you look at this? It says he ran, at the end of verse 12, he ran, he ran out of the house. It, it, it doesn't say that he stayed and, and flattered her. It doesn't say that he stuck around and cracked jokes. It says that he ran out of the house. This kid was a conquest for this woman and he didn't budge when it came to temptation. I would say, and this is backed up in the New Testament as well, that this is probably the best biblical counsel we can have when it comes to temptation. The Bible says that he ran out of the house. And many times, I want us to think about like each of us here, whether it it's some type of relationship where we've fallen short or an addiction or a, a substance or whatever it is, you know, it's interesting when it comes to temptation or, or sin, many of us can probably look back at a season. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it's currently going on, right? But we can learn from Joseph in this situation because many times when it comes to temptation, we, we kind of say no, but there's part of us that we might dabble just a bit, right? 
We say no, we, we say no, no, but we kind of toy around with it. Teenagers, right? It's like you, you say no, but you're like, but I'll still just, I'm going to send that, that, that smiley face emoji just so they don't think I'm being rude. Whatever it is, like we do these things, we say no, but we kind of linger and we kind of dabble and we, and we kind of toy around with the, with the sin and with the desire and then we're shocked years later and chapters later in our lives, we're shocked and we're surprised that we actually finally failed. But we usually fail when it comes to temptation because we dabble. Because we kind of just play around with it. Not not Joseph. It says Joseph, he knew what he needed to do. He needed to run away. Run, Forrest, run. Right? Remember that movie? Just go, man. Don't stop. But there's a problem, and we would see it from from our perspective. It doesn't feel fair to me. How many of you ever read the Bible and it doesn't seem fair? How many of you ever go through life and a chapter of life you're in doesn't seem fair? What's going to happen to Joseph? This next plot twist to me doesn't make sense. It's not fair. It's not the proper reward for a young man resisting temptation and doing the right thing. Let's read about it. Because um, she grabbed his cloak, is what the Bible says. And she held on to it. And there's going to be some circumstantial evidence that's not going to go Joseph's way there was that old saying that watch out when a woman is scorned. Watch out when a man is scorned, right? Verse 13, let's see what happens. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed when he heard me scream for help. He left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Mrs. Potiphar, who has been turned down, I think it's safe to say this is probably a woman that is not used to hearing the words no. She's been turned down, not once, not twice. Over and over again, Joseph has turned down her advances and so her desires what she wants we could say her lust that like she wants joseph so much now all that is flipped and now she hates him so much right she hates this kid so much verse 19 when his master when potiphar let's insert his name that's when potiphar heard this story his wife told him saying this is how your slave treated me he burned with anger Joseph, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Another twist in the life of Joseph, another plot twist. If there was ever a person that should be rewarded for good behavior, to me it's this kid. This is unbelievable. He honored his boss. He honored his employer. He honored God. Day after day he said no and remember, folks, like if, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis and how this ends up and even how it transitions us into Moses, at the end of Genesis it says, hey, th- there was a group of people who forgot about Joseph, right? You know his, his story and it turns out amazing. Remember, at his, he's probably in his low 20s at this point. Whatever, whatever his age, he's missing some good years in his life. He honored his boss. He said no over and over. Remember, Joseph at this point in the context and where he's at, he doesn't know how this story ends. 
He doesn't know what lies ahead of him. All he knows is he honored God. He did the honorable thing. He said no to his boss's wife, and now he's in jail. Think about that for a moment. That's all Joseph knows. He doesn't get to see the whole puzzle as it gets placed together on his life. He made the right choice, and now he's in jail for the right choice. Number three, and this can apply to us today, sometimes a plot twist means suffering because of a righteous choice. Let's be very, very clear. Joseph went to jail for doing what was right, not for doing anything wrong. He didn't sleep with her. He, didn't, he, he, he turned her down. Um, how would this look like for us today? Right? How, how could we be persecuted for doing the right thing? The Bible says this will happen to us. Pastor Tony Evans, I love him. He, he, he said this as I was studying this week. He said, if you never experience negative repercussions because of your Christian faith, <laughs> you probably aren't a Christian. And he says this, or at least not a very good one. How many of us would say amen, Right? If you've never experienced never negative repercussions because of your Christian faith, you probably aren't a Christian at all, or you're probably not very good at practicing it. And that's true. How does that look for You know what that looks like today? It means you, you've lost money because of a decision you made. You refuse to take a shortcut at a business deal. You refuse to take that job at the hotel, whatever. You refused something because you knew that choice wouldn't honor God, Right? How many of us, are, like now you're kind of going, I didn't think I've made those decisions, but now you kind of realize you probably have. You've lost some things because of your faith. It looks like this. If you're a young person, you'll be called a prude, right? That's, that's what it looks like. That's what missed that. Like if you're going to decide to be faithful to God, that's what people, you're a prude. You're no fun. It will mean you don't get invited to certain places or certain parties. It'll mean you don't get to hang out with certain people. It'll mean you will lose a friend. It will, it will mean you miss out, and, and yet in Scripture we see it. When people make decisions that honor God, something tends to happen to them. Daniel was what? Thrown in the lion's den for refusing to, he, they told him to stop praying, and there was no way he was going to stop praying, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace because they said, we're not going to worship this idol, we're going to worship our God, period. You do what you want with us right? Jesus himself, Matthew 10, 22, this is, I, I like sticking to like the Sermon on the Mount and the mustard seed and the, and the and, and I like sticking to like his parables that make me feel good, right? The, the, the story of the Samaritan. But Jesus also said this, he said this in Matthew 10, 22, he said, you will be hated by all because of me. Do you know Jesus said that? He said, you will be hated by all because of me. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Joseph made the right decision. He made the righteous choice, and he suffered for the right choice. He was innocent, but the evidence circumstantially was very much against him. But while Joseph was in prison, look at the end of verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison... The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Joseph goes to jail, but could we say it like this? God still shows up in jail. Joseph went to the pit. He got sold by the band of Midianites to Potiphar's house. This is the second time Joseph ends up somewhere and gets kind of promoted. Do we see that? Like it has, this isn't a one-time. Joseph must just, he, he must be noticing this. God, this was a bad deal. 
And yet, the prison warden just put me in charge of everything. God, I couldn't speak their language, and yet Potiphar put me in charge of everything. For the second time, Joseph is put in a bad spot, and then he gets put in charge of everything. Potiphar's house, now in prison. Potiphar takes Joseph, and let's get into this, and I don't want to read into too much, but there are some things in Scripture that makes me wonder about Potiphar and more about Mrs. Potiphar, right? Because if you look, if you look in Scripture, Potiphar takes him to the prison warden, a man who no doubt he already does business with. He probably sees him all the time. Potiphar, notice this, he didn't have Joseph flogged or beaten. The chief, we, we said earlier, a Jewish historian called him the chief executioner. He didn't have him killed. It seems to me they didn't lay a finger on him except take him to the prison warden. And, and, and make no mistake, like ancient Egypt... Even in the Middle East today, they aren't exactly soft on crime. And this is a massive accusation, right? The accusation is horrible. But remember who Potiphar is. He's the captain of the guard. He is connected. He is, some historians say, the chief executioner. And here's kind of what I think. And chapter 40, to me, confirms this. If you have have a Bible, just kind of flip it over to chapter 40 of the book of Genesis. But here's what I kind of think. Do you think Potiphar, with all his connections, his training, his power, his wealth, his political power, do you think if if he believed that a slave in his own home would do that to his wife, do you think for a second he wouldn't have Joseph killed? He probably would have devised an interesting way to take him out. Let's be real, right? If he thought for a second that his wife was telling the truth, don't you think this man with all his background would have done something, right? I think Potiphar actually probably would have just killed him on the spot. He would have raged that much. Probably got upset, and then he started thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, right? Next week, we're going to go into chapter 40, but I want to, like a little spoiler alert, because it doesn't mention Potiphar by name, but once again, it uses his title. Would you catch in the first couple verses of, of chapter 40? Here it is. Two men, they upset Pharaoh, the baker, and the cupbearer. Chapter 40 says this, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. Who's the captain of the guard? Wait, wait, wait. Who's the captain of the guard? It's Potiphar. The captain of the guard assigned the baker and the cupbearer to Joseph, why would he give him this role in prison if this man really did anything to his wife? Why would he treat him so? Why would he assign him to the prison warden, uh, the prison warden and say, hey, this kid has the goods, let him, let, he can run the show in here. Why would this Potiphar do this unless Potiphar really understands Mrs. Potiphar? We can laugh. He pro- this is probably nothing new to him, but maybe socially he has to save face. Maybe he can't come out against her publicly. I don't know what the deal is or what kind of marriage they have, but it's very clear to me that Potiphar knows the character of Joseph, and he knows the character of his bride. He knows. He knows. Verse 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all, those, all that was done there. The warden paid no attention. Look at this. He didn't pay attention to anything. Under Joseph's care, these bosses get to lay back and sit my ties all day, right? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Notice this, God didn't change Joseph's situation, but it seems like he constantly shows up inside the situation. God didn't change the the, the situation, but God shows up, and in another unfair chapter of Joseph's life, he did the right thing, was punished. Yet, You know what's interesting is 
Joseph doesn't waver either. I would be feeling really sorry for myself. If I was Joseph, I, I would be really irritated by this situation. I mean, you wouldn't blame him for questioning God, for cursing God, and yet it's interesting that, it, it, does Joseph just sense God's hand? That God is almost like, Joseph, I've still got you. Joseph, you're still mine. But remember when we met him at 17 years old last week, we talked about this in chapter 37, verse 2. Joseph was a bit of what? A tattletale? He was a narc. Joseph was a bit of a showboat, rolling around with his coat, acting all cool. He didn't do the work like his older brothers, right? There was a bit, there were some things that Joseph needed to do. He was this boy that had dreams, and he had visions, and he had skills, and he had six-pack abs, right? He had all these things, but he needed to grow up. Sometimes before God can use us, we got to grow up. Joseph needed to grow up, and it's almost like God is like, Joseph, I'm going to use you, but I'm not done refining you. I'm not done because you're going to have more character than anybody else. You're going to save a nation. You're, you, 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 nobody will be able to bribe you, Joseph. Nobody will be able to buy you. You're going to be the most wise man in this entire kingdom. Can you imagine that, right? A politician that could not be bought or persuaded. I love that about Joseph. God's like, I'm not done refining you and preparing you, Joseph. As we close, would you look at verse 21? And look at verse 23. These words show up. We say this in church a lot, don't we? When Scripture is repetitious, we need to what? Pay attention. What does it say? It says, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was, you finish it off, he was what? With him, yep. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care in verse 23 because the Lord was with him. And it says he gave him success in every thing that he did. I love the Lord was with him, right? The Lord was with him. But here's the thing I want to talk about and as we pray today. Here's, here's something to not forget. Joseph was with God. The Lord was with Joseph, but Joseph was with the Lord. Joseph didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He didn't quit. He just kept grinding. Joseph kept serving. He, even when it meant he lost something, he just kept going. And eventually we see the end results of Joseph's tenacity and that he just kept following the Lord because we see that he prospered not only in slavery. He prospered not only on his way to Egypt. He prospered not only in Potiphar's house, but he prospered in prison. Isn't this amazing? Because he was with the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you for this time in your word, in your scripture. God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. That we can gather in your house today. God, we pray today for strength like Joseph when it comes to things like temptation. God, help us to learn from his story. God, help those who are in a season of, maybe you're here today, you're not in a season of temptation. You're in a season of prosperity. You're in a season where things are, are good, life, happy, health, happy, happiness, bank accounts, all that stuff. But God, help us to be on guard to temptation. God, we pray for comfort for those who maybe you're here today and you might be suffering the repercussions of a righteous decision. Maybe you're here today and you have lost some friends because of a right decision. Maybe you're here today, you've lost some family because of a godly decision. Maybe you're here today and you have lost finances because of a godly decision. 
Scripture repeats itself over and over and over again. It says, during his godly moments and his good decisions, the Lord was with Joseph. During the betrayal from his brothers, the Lord was with Joseph. On the trip down to Egypt, the Lord was with Joseph. In Potiphar's house, the Lord was with Joseph. In prison, the Lord was with Joseph. I just want to say that today that some of you need to hear that the Lord was with Joseph, but the Lord is with you in your situation and your loss. He's with you in your pain. He's in with you in this you're trying to recover from a physical ailment. The Lord is with you. As we close and as we pray, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I want to invite you, if, 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 if you need a little extra prayer, if any of those, if that describes you, our prayer teams will be available to my right, your left. But I just think that's a word for someone today. The Lord is with you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you need to know that the Lord is with you. He wants you to know that he's with you. He wants you to know that he sent his son for you. But the reality is maybe you don't know him. I love that about Joseph. Joseph was with him. Maybe you're here today and the reality is you aren't really with God. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you went to church when you were 12 to 15 and then you became a junior or senior and you had fun in high school and college. Maybe you're here today, you've been far away from him. Well, I want to tell you that you aren't here by accident. You aren't here. It's not a mistake that God is waiting for you. He's ready and he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to come home. He's waiting for you to come back. He's waiting for you to say yes to Jesus. He's waiting for you to say yes to his grace. He's waiting for you to say yes to forgiveness. He's waiting for you to say yes to eternal life. The Bible says that when you come to Christ, that you become brand new on the inside that you are a new life, that the, the old is not there. You are not the same anymore, but a new life has begun. I believe there's some here that just need to say, I need a new life. I need a new life, and that life is found through a name. It's found through a person. It's found through a Savior. His name is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus went to that cross, that he died. He took the sin of many. He became sin, even though he didn't have any. And he covered us. The Bible says that he died, but he was put in that tomb. And on the third day, the Bible says that he rose again. And then it goes on and says he was seen by as many as 500 people. He was seen by many. And then the Bible says he ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father in heaven. And that is where he is making an appeal for you today to say yes to him. You are not here by accident. You aren't watching a stream by accident. You may have stumbled into a little video with 30 people, not by accident, because it's, it's because Jesus is making an appeal for you. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. And if you believe that, if you want to meet with Jesus, if you want to say yes to Jesus and change and turn from sin, I want to ask you to just lift your hand and to raise your hand, to raise your eyes where I can see it. That's the way we acknowledge Jesus in this house. We just say, yep, you know what? I'm going to raise my hand. I'm in. If that's you today, if you want to say yes to Jesus and change, would you just lift your hand? One, two, and three. Would you just lift a hand in this place? Any over this way? See, any over there? I see you over there, young lady. Anybody else? And if you're online, man, respond. Send us an email. I see you over there. Can those that lift their hands, if you lifted your eyes, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, let's pray this, church. Every voice, come on. Heavenly Father, would you forgive me? 
Would you change me? Would you make me new? Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive me for doing things my way. Would you fill me with your Spirit and be my Lord? Jesus, we thank you for new life. In your name we pray. Can we say amen? Amen. Can we applaud him? Can we praise him? Lord, we thank you today. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.